0: Hello and welcome to the Sea of Startups, where we dive into the stories behind the startups in Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Kevin Rocklin, Managing Partner of Indelible Ventures. Now, if you're a founder or funder looking to learn more about what drives the startups in Southeast Asia, this podcast is for you. We're about to sit down with founders to uncover the unique insights into the origins and motivations behind launching their startups. We'll uncover the stories behind the struggles, the ups, the downs guided from the view of an entrepreneur. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's show. All right. Today's guest is Sutan Mukaya, the founder of edar.com. And for those of you who don't know, edar.com is an online to offline retail grocery chain across Malaysia and soon to be Indonesia that allows payment by recycling household waste. That sounds really interesting and I'm eager to dig into it, Sutan. Thank you very much for being here with me.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here as well.
0: So I'll, I always have to ask, take me back. How did you get on the entrepreneurial journey in the first place? And how did you land upon this as your business idea?
1: Okay. Um, to start off, I didn't actually plan to start off with the Beligas or Previous, Previously, I was a corporate guy in a managing a bread company, uh, taking care of all the regional officers in Southeast Asia. Then COVID hit and, um, in March, and suddenly our parent shareholders decided to close the the entire southeast asia presence um, due to the the, the, the uh, due, due to the pandemic at the time the whole and southeast asia the full southeast asia oh wow yeah so uh and then we suddenly were out of job in less than a month in um over in april um at that time I was doing quite good as well um i, I didn't really have any issues but i i really felt for the people my my, my staffs um, our partners and whoever else that was uh, part of our ecosystem who, mm. do, who do not have that safety net and of course during the pandemic we realized how terrible um the entire pandemic was and of course we were also very afraid because at the time people were told that this is gonna go on for years right um i was helping out by giving out um small groceries and and some money pocket monies to people but i i realized that i can't do that forever um that is not a model that works mm. um what I decided to do at the time was, hey, look, I have the tools and resources and people that are free right now. And probably I can utilize these this resources to maybe open up a business which can basically help these people. Um, and then <clears throat> just, just as, as at in the month of May and June, the government allowed up essential services to run. And um, and of course, essential service businesses are very, very limited. And um, it just happened to be that gas was one of those industries that caught my eyes. Um, it, had, it is it's a very traditional business mm-hmm. and it was ready to be disrupted. And I had a very bad uh, experience with one of the gas guys at the particular time in my in my uh, FMB outlet. So in June, we went out there um, just about three days after they opened up the entire lockdown, the East lockdown. I opened up uh, Bali Gas at the time and we started. Um, and then a year later, we basically introduced the concept of recycling, uh, where people can basically recycle to reduce the price of uh, cooking gas. This was a model that I learned in uh, when I was traveling in, in European countries, where people are much more inclined to recycle and, mm. you know, and, 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 and do things. <clears throat> so at that time, business was very, very good. Um, everybody was still sitting at home, and we were really growing uh, leaps and bounds. But... Uh, one thing started to happen when the lockdown was like totally eased and you know you, you know entirely relaxed, people start to basically move away from being at home to going back mm-hmm. to offices,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And um, at that particular point point, we had our first disruption due to the uh, due to that. Mm-hmm. So initially, when Bully Gas started, we were basically co- uh, connecting the uh, the cooking gas uh, and recycling experience for B two C customers. And we had like about seventeen to 20,000 customers who were buying from us on a monthly basis. But uh, when that was eased and people started to go back to restaurants and whatnot, mm-hmm. we realized uh, the model was not working anymore because people do not want to be at home anymore, right? And we, re- we also realized that um, moving forward, it might not be easy for us to collect the used cooking oil that we wanted uh, or we need because people are probably going to be recycling uh lesser due to the fact that they're gonna be cooking lesser now that all the restaurants are back open Malaysians are um the kind of people or community that goes out and enjoys
0: loves grocery. to you eat out that, like, yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it's, a, a, it's a very active restaurant scene yeah
1: <laughs> so <clears throat> but we know that um the model works that you know uh people need groceries and mm-hmm. they like the idea that it's cheaper because of of recycling we also know that uh, recycling is also a very good commodity for us to to pick up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, some of the weaknesses that we felt at the time was that we had too little SKUs in our in our in our company. We had only one product to sell, which was cooking gas. And mm-hmm. on the other on the other hand, we only had one product to recycle, which was used cooking oil. And talking to mentors and partners, we realized we are really putting ourselves into a box which we don't have to. Mm-hmm. So. We had um, a team meeting uh, with everybody and we decided that, hey, look, why don't we just give anything of, out of value that people need for their recyclables? Yeah, So we initially started with like about 20 FMCG SKUs and quickly over, <clears throat> we start to have about 1000 product list. And that for me was basically um, uh, the, the list for you to open up entire grocery chain. Hmm. Um, uh, on the other side, we also, because of our experience in used cooking oil and uh, and, uh, and our skill in that, we also had partners who came to us and asked us to also collect uh, e waste uh, and papers and cardboards and, and and whatnot. And we realized, hey, look, we can actually do that too. It's not a big problem. If we can do used cooking oil, it's not going to be hard for us to do other things as well. Um, but then another question came in. Do you want to go out there and open grocery chain, where uh, grocery outlets where it's very very expensive to open open one? Because we are also a social impact company and uh, we we want to also help the community and the people at large and whatnot. We decided that we will focus on traditional grocery owners, but rather than kill them, we work to support them, to digitalize them, and also be uh, whether. Um, uh, through to partnerships uh, and whatnot become uh make them become edar outlets itself yeah this was a what i call a, a low cost or a, or a cheaper model for us to open up grocery outlets mm-hmm. quickly scale it very very quickly while not waste or not while not burning too much money okay. so we open up <clears throat> outlets um so far we have about 20 plus nearly we have about twenty more in the pipeline that we are currently uh, moving or uh, we are promoting mm-hmm. right now, and uh, and then we realized that we can do the entire thing. Um, so that's that. So last year, um, sometime right before three days before the election, we uh, we rebranded to Ada, but ba- uh, bad luck. Of course, the election was called three days later, so we had to postpone the entire thing to to December when everything mm-hmm. was really really fine, and um, so. To be honest, we started actually uh, going on the field in uh, December, and to date, we have about twenty plus outlets that's already active. We have another twenty in the pipeline across kal and Selangor and uh, and mm-hmm. and we're also currently scaling in Indonesia.
0: Okay, very very interesting, very interesting. I'm cu- I'm curious on the on the on the gas side since that was the 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 starting point. Was 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 that? Is that still a core piece of the business now that you're at these outlets? Do you still do the B2C model on that? Or did you discontinue it, bring it in-store, physical only? Uh, or what ended up happening to that part?
1: So we don't do B2C directly, but we are now B2B2C. Okay. What I mean by that is that our outlets are the one doing the last mile delivery to all the communities mm-hmm. of, of homes, basically. So when you we basically supply wholesale, whether it is cooking gas, or fmcg or pick mm-hmm. up recyclables from our outlets while our outlets will basically do the last mile delivery to the community around them
0: okay okay and on the cooking oil side is there is did you have to get any specific sort of license or otherwise in order to handle that because presumably that's it has some sort of categorization that requires safety measures and so forth yes, what was dear. that like when you were just getting started
1: ah uh, first um, it, it's good that we work with um, partners, even startup partners who are basically completers, but really they are not. Um, mm-hmm. Like AruSol, who told us the um, the works on on the licensing part and the administration part of it. So what we basically do is that uh, when the oil is uh, is uh, is ready to be collected, we call our ecosystem partners, whether it is um, companies like Oil or wherever it is. To come pick up the oil directly, while we manage the platform itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so um, if it requires to be sold and whatnot, it's basically Ar- Aru's all which which has to get all the licensing on the at the top level. We just have to get the basic license licenses to basically buy it from the community, which is just a simple MPOB license, um, and whatnot.
0: Okay so you buy it from the community then you turn around and essentially sell it to this partner yes correct and and capture the spread on that by doing the coordinating effort the logistics and so forth yes that's okay. right and so now it's switched over to the b2b to c, b2b to c uh, yep. version of it so it's all um, concentrated at those individual retail outlet locations. So, if I'm an individual and I'm I'm essentially trying to recoup some of my uh uh Use used cooking, cooking oil, oil I'm bringing TV's, it into the store uh, in jars or however I'm storing it, uh, and then dropping to, it off. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. That's right. There's two ways for you to basically recycle. So you can either get a delivery,
0: mm-hmm.
1: purchase and 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 request for a delivery to your home where we'll come and deliver your grocery and pick up the recyclables. Okay. Or if you want to save on the delivery fee, then you just walk into our store and then recycle it directly.
0: Okay. Now for the delivery, is there? do you have your own fleet? Uh, is there any special handling required in order to facilitate that? Or are, are again, you're relying on third-party partners?
1: So, uh, because we do a couple of things, right? We do FMCG, mm-hmm. uh, use cooking, or whatnot. Sure. Between HQ to um, to all the outlets, we have our own fleet. We're mm-hmm. talking about the glories and whatnot. But when it comes to outlets themselves, then they we will basically put a motorbike in to to facilitate a simple delivery in the community. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's all. Okay. Okay. It
1: comes with carriers and whatnot. So you can put your gas, you can put your groceries, you can put your recyclables. Yeah. Right
0: yeah. The yeah. Deliver it. But there, there's there's no special handling or or permits required to be transporting the gas containers, yeah?
1: Yeah, no, you have um, are you talking from um the so if, the- if if I'm yeah.
0: going from the store and delivering a gas container to to an individual household is that motorbike that's doing motorbike. that last mile uh does he require any sort of special licensing in order to no. tra- transport or yeah. it's it's perfectly fine?
1: it's just a normal motorbike licenses and whatnot. That's ah, it. okay okay, okay. Happening in in, um, in the community it's not really a big requirement. But, if, like us like we are turning from HQ to all the outlets, then of course you need to uh, meet all the all the other licenses like PuspaCom and 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 whatnot,
0: yeah, yeah, because it's 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 commercial for one and it's in bulk for 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 the second aspect, I guess uh, right. okay, okay, okay so so when when the pandemic kind of loosens, the stay at home orders start coming up, people people started venturing out, so you said, okay, our, our business model is under threat let's 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 do a pivot. Did you look at going after the restaurants and the amount of cooking oil that they may have, the amount of gas usage, or is that already a captured market?
1: I think it's a captured market. And I also thought that it's a great ocean market as well, Mm. because there's so many players who are basically doing that. And we do not want to add into the noise. Uh, We decided that we want to do something more unique. And if you're going to do it, we should do something different. Then, um, then you know, getting into the into the red ocean, right? Mm-hmm. So we decided that to 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 do the model of groceries, which uh, which nobody has done before, uh, at least in Southeast Asia,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and okay. then going with it.
0: Okay. So what was what was the criteria? So you you decided to do the retail outlet. You went with the the option of uh, leveraging partners in order to be able to scale up more quickly. What was the criteria when you were trying to decide? who to partner with, where should they be located, how to choose the right partner, how to structure the partnership. Uh, you're essentially getting into new territory here. Walk me through that thought process.
1: Okay. Um, yes. Um, I'm also learning on that part. and uh, we, also, we also get burned time to time once in a while as we are learning. But um, but yeah, you're right. The um, SMTG retail market is, to, is, to, is a totally different animal altogether. Um, and uh, we learned we learned that um, it is not easy, or or simply just randomly choosing places, right? Uh, the idea that we we go on is that we work by seeing and identifying where do our competitors open their outlet,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and around basically hypermarkets or bigger grocery chains and whatnot, and then trying to identify any local or community based uh, traditional. Grocery outlets in that particular area that we can work with. Again, um, then that's the first filter. The second filter is that we will then also look at um, the um, the track record of the the traditional grocery outlet. Are they just open up for um, like I don't know, maybe three months, or or or, or do they have or do they have been there for decades? Um, are they able to 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 manage um, um, uh, this deliveries and recycling? Are they are they keen to try this model? And of course, are are, are they are, are they perceptive to to the idea of you know of, of doing data labs? Because truth to be told, outside of KL and Flango, um a lot of people are still very traditional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have to work within these boundaries and limitations to, to basically identify. And this is basically the role of our salespeople, our merchandisers who goes out in the field every single day trying to identify these correct people to, to bring in. Um okay. yeah.
0: Okay, and so when when you when you're when you're establishing these partnerships as well, you are you essentially becoming the wholesaler that's supplying them the whole range of grocery goods, and how do you how do you get them to switch over from their existing relationships? Because if they've been in business for a bit of time, they have wholesalers who have been stocking them likely for for a significant amount of the period.
1: That's right. So we bring. The- multiple value added um, services for them. Uh, first of all, we do not really block um, all these um, grocery outlets um, from working with other traditional suppliers as well. Mm-hmm. We don't do that. We understand that we we are probably limited in terms of um, FMCG products that we carry. Mm-hmm. So we do allow them to purchase other things. But on the things that we carry, we tell them, look, um, when you work or when you partner with ADAR, we don't just simply supply you wholesale um, Gases and uh, FMCG, just like everybody else, we actually are your partners in marketing. We rebrand you into Edar and give we give you a, a, a chain identity where people from Para or uh, or Penang or whatnot will all share the same identity. will make it easier for people to identify Edar outlet. We also basically support them with um uh, with a uh, market uh, with the app as well where we mm-hmm. digitize them. So um. You, as a as a traditional grocery owner, you get uh, you get app orders coming in, uh, and these app orders are not just limited to uh, retail value of the FMCG, but it's also the delivery fee as well. It's also the uh, it's also the recycling part as well, uh, and and um, and whatnot. So we add these components and we tell them, look, when you work with data, you get more than your traditional guys, and and um, we also tell them, look, um, ultimately we are not an FMCG company we are recycling company we 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 really care more about the recycling bit than the fmcg part so as long as you allow people to recycle in your outlet and you help us to maintain uh, an amount of uh, recyclables that we collect from your outlet we don't mind you working with traditional outlet uh, traditional suppliers as well so we have that going on um for traditional suppliers the the key benefit that we give them is that we give them the distribution that they require uh, rather than distributing uh, but prior to this, on their own, right now because we are on demand uh, and we are able to basically see the big data of each outlet so they find it much more easier to push their products to us and then uh, push it back to uh, for the for for the outlets. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's basically it.
0: Okay. So the the key component is the is the recycling. The the rest is kind of. A, an added benefit for yeah, you. Yeah, icing—I call it icing yes. on the cake. Yeah, yeah. So, tell t- tell me a little bit on 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 some of the economic aspects of of the the recycling. Is there a particular volume that you need to be able to do in order for it to start making sense in regards to the cost of transport to move it from place to place, the recoupable value when you when you send it off to your partners? um How does that function?
1: That's right. So there, there is um, the more you, uh, in essence, recyclables work in such a way that the more bulk you have, mm-hmm. the more profit you make that they, they can give. It's, it's like on a tired pricing uh, mechanism.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So if you start small, you you you'll make a profit, but you don't make much uh, when you factor in the cost of logistics, manpower, and whatnot. So the idea is to basically cut down the cost by working in grocery stores. You lean out your all your storage storage costs. And then you basically try to uh, try to basically get everybody to group together so that you get that big number of recyclables volume that you need. Mm-hmm. And then take that and basically deliver it to our partners, our upstream partners. It's simple okay. as that, actually.
0: And so at some point, you end up coordinating amongst all these outlets to bring it to a central collection point group it bundle it together so that then it's in the volume necessary in order to push out or is the logistics slightly different
1: uh the, the, the logistics in demand so the moment we know that there is orders uh, we have in so every outlet has a minimum quantity that they can recycle so mm-hmm. the minimum quantity is already covering our cost of transportation already uh with a bit of profit so with that, then this minimum quantity is is, is what they must met for them to sell uh their their recyclables um the other part is that when we are delivering your cooking gas or your or, or, or the FMCG, we are also already making a profit when we come and deliver. So it's for mm-hmm. us to come and assess uh, and see the, quant- the the recyclable volume that we the, the quantity that you have is already paid for. So uh, by and large, um, as long as we do the cooking gas, the recyclables, and the FMCG together, we will be able to drive the cost down, and basically. Share the uh, and share the cost across all these three different uh, products, key products, mm-hmm. and uh, with recyclables. Once we have the volume, in 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 uh, in grand total of all the outlets, we'll be able to basically make uh, a a huge sum of profit.
0: Okay. Okay, and interesting. Uh, let, let me dig into this a little bit more just so that I can clearly understand some of these components. So that's 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 on your side, but if I, if I'm if I'm a person that's coming showing up at one of your retail outlets, I've yeah. got some of my used uh, cooking oils and I'm looking at you utilizing that and recycling that and utilizing the the what you're going to give me uh in order to perhaps offset my grocery bill. How does that work? Is is there a price per liter? Is there a price per? How does the, how does that work? So for when you when you signal that out, is it a market price? Does it fluctuate? Um, how does that work?
1: So um, yes, so we we have a price list for all the for the, all the items that we carry. Some are per unit and some are per kg. For example, the used cooking oil is calculated on a per kg basis. Mm-hmm. Um, e base is calculated on a per kg basis. Our e, our papers and cardboard are still the same. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, on that, we just go by how many amounts that you're, you're carrying. For example, if you have four kg of um, used cooking oil, we give you two ringgit fifty cents per kg for that. So, so if you bring four kg, you get ten ringgit off on your disc uh, immediately on your on your groceries, mm-hmm. and 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 that that's all. Um, maybe another example will be, for example, an an old printer in your house mm-hmm. uh, or mixed wires. So we pay about um, for for printers. I think we're paying about ten, 10 ringgit per unit. So if you bring a, 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 a an old printer that you want to recycle, you get tearing it off on any groceries that you purchase in the outlet or through our app. Mm-hmm. So all these are already inputted in into the Adar app, and you just basically have to basically pick and choose which one, which what, what items that you have. Okay, uh, and that's all.
0: Okay, so I, I then show up at the retail outlet. I've already selected it. I show up. I have my jar of used cooking oil. I dump I dump that out into whatever container that you have at the location. I yep. take my printer that's no longer working. I hand it over to you, and boom! I've got 20, 20 bucks off of my bill that day. That's right, man. Okay, okay, okay. okay. If
1: you go see it's thirty ringgit per day, you get twenty ringgit off. You pay ten ringgit. That's all.
0: Okay, okay. It's 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 quite it's quite it, Quite straightforward when it comes down to it, but I have to imagine that the the functional aspect of managing the logistics of it, establishing the partners, a little bit more where the secret sauce actually <laughs> lies. Yeah,
1: that's right. When um, so when you talk uh, on, on between the outlet to the consumers, it's a, it's a very simple process. Mm. But the 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 complications comes in at the back, which <laughs> mm-hmm. we are handling day to day basis.
0: Yeah, yeah. How how big is your team at this point?
1: So uh, right now we are about forty people.
0: Forty people, okay. And how many of them are out in these variety of locations, uh, searching out whether whether they're sales reps, business development? I'm not sure how you how you twenty plus label people them?
1: about twenty twenty five people uh,
0: okay. are out on the field. Okay, okay. And now that you're launching Indonesia, let's let's talk about that expansion because entering a new uh, state within, within your home market of Malaysia is one thing going into a new country is a completely other. So how was that process? uh, I know you're in pro you're in, you're still in the process, but how has it been in, in regards to deciding for one that it's time, uh, and then establishing the, the initial building blocks to build your presence there.
1: Okay. Um, so, um, yes, I think this is where I got my, uh, uh, a free pass.
2: Mm.
1: <laughs> I used to work. I used to work regionally. Um, okay. as I was telling you from a previous tech company. So, I have team members and partners across Southeast Asia, um, including teams in Indonesia as well, mm-hmm. uh, from a previous company. So, it just happened to be that uh, Indonesia is currently going on a on a on a green energy revival, oh, right? Yeah. ESG and whatnot is very very big over there. Um, and also, it just happened to be that uh, my team in Indonesia loves the uh, the model of Edan right now, and mm-hmm. it, they asked me, "Hey, can I can I just can we just start this off in uh, Indonesia?" And I thought, "Hey, look, let's do that." And so we went there a couple of times. I love what what is happening over Indonesia. Uh, the people are currently very very open to recycling. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, um, there is also a big industry the, ent- the entire warungs basically to be disrupted. So we believe that this is something that to, to to basically kick off while we're doing it in Malaysia. And from then we started, that's all.
0: And do you find, so, so there's a number of tech companies that have been trying to digitize the, the warung operators in Indonesia. Do you find that you compete against them or do you find that because your key component is the recycling, that you don't really kind of bump head to head?
1: We don't bump bump to head to head. In fact, uh, I met some of the biggest uh, Warong operators, um, tech like Wahyu and whatnot, Mm -hmm. and we're actually partnering with them um, to basically uh, roll out in Indonesia. The reason is very simple. We told them that while we are delivering FMCG, that's not really our core. And Mm -hmm. we don't mind them managing that for us. We do not want to manage 1,000 SKUs and whatnot. Mm
2: -hmm. Allow
1: us to just manage our our recyclables. Mm -hmm. While we work with with, uh, synergistic partners, to deliver all these things to our warungs. So okay. um the model of uh, Ada, uh from what i see and from what i believe um uh, is to be true i don't think so it competes with um the traditional or or, or any of the digital companies that's currently operating or trying to disrupt the uh, the warungs. We okay. um nobody does anything on recycling with them right now. Yeah, so you don't
0: you don't necessarily need to focus on the app as much in Indonesia. You can ba- you can basically partner up with the folks that are already getting them on board with digital solutions and kind of shortcut that on ramp as opposed to fighting for it. Correct,
1: correct. Uh, in fact, to give you an example, uh, by our, our plan is by end of March we look we are looking to open twenty outlets in Indonesia. Okay. That's how quickly you're looking to scale
0: in niche, actually. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. And how has it been? Because you know, it's, it becomes much more like localized in regards to what you do once you have collected those recyclables. Because you have to establish new partnerships for where the e-waste is going, where the used cooking oil is going. How has that process been in order to establish those relationships?
1: Um, so what we have done, if we believe as prior to this, as given us a lot of visibility in the market, especially in the tax scene of -hmm. Southeast Asia. Um, And we we have been approached by many uh, regional uh, upstream partners who wants to work work with them in other countries. Mm -hmm. So um, to give you an idea, Indonesia is actually a bigger version of uh, Malaysia. And most of the partners that is currently working with us in Malaysia are also doing big things in in, um, Indonesia. So... So, like for example, our uh, our youth cooking our partners in Indonesia is actually the same one, like the, the like the one that we're working in uh, Malaysia as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it, 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 Indonesia has been literally easy for me to to, <laughs> to 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 enter compared to um two other countries that I'm currently looking at as well.
0: Okay. okay. I think
1: it's way much more tougher for me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. You know, I I've I've hear a lot of uh, young companies that that want to enter into Indonesia. And I hear the stories of some that have done so recently, and I think you're probably one of the first one that's emphasised the ease. But I think that comes from some of your background with the regional role, past life, having the connections, having it in place already, Uh, and so relationships have really mattered in regards to enabling you to move this quickly. Yeah,
1: correct, that's right. I I I truly believe that that those networks that I have will Mm -hmm. is is a secret source for us moving in and entering Indonesia so quickly.
0: Okay, okay. So
1: having trust and, and having the trust in them as well.
0: Yeah, to, yeah. To not screw
1: it up for us, you know. No, ab-
0: absolutely, absolutely. It has to work both directions. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So let, let's talk about because you re- you referenced that you're looking at additional country markets. So what's the criteria that that makes you decide where and when to go?
1: Um, <clears throat> it it basically depends on um, the resources that we have at hand. Um, last time you asked me, I would like to enter every single country immediately. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but 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 uh, if you ask me today, um, I say I, I I would like to assess the market itself. <clears throat> for example, I'm very very keen to enter countries like um country like um, like Singapore, which is an easy. If I enter, it would be very easy.
2: Mm-hmm. Myanmar,
1: Vietnam, and, and and whatnot. I'm not so keen to enter countries like India, for example, mm-hmm. because things are very complicated region by region in mm-hmm. in India. Um i also looking at places like bangladesh but uh, this all depends on the muscle that we have in our hand we we are uh, we are still a startup we are looking to start our series a very soon but okay. we, but, uh, but but our, our, our limiting factor is basically the financial muscle mm. if we have more we don't mind opening up quickly to other countries but uh, but if we go by what we have right now i think we have to basically identify the quick wins all the guaranteed wins and just do one market at a time. So okay. that's the case with uh, Indonesia right now. We think that that market is uh, one of those guaranteed wins. So that's why we are focusing on that as our first expansion.
0: Okay. Okay. And is when you open a new market, when you look when you look at expanding into an Indonesia, do you have a time frame in mind of when it be, turns into becoming cash positive operation that enables you to kind of invest in new outlets or start considering, you know, off of internally generated cash flow, putting a fundraise aside for a second, that that kind of enables you in order to do the organic growth pathway.
1: So we we did we did build a projection um, a, a forecast projection basically on on when we can break even, and we look at it that we we basically have to work on a 12 to 14 months cycle for us to um, to be profitable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is not on on the 20 outlet, but we are looking to basically open up 1,000 outlets uh, by next year in Indonesia. So <clears throat> based on these projections, we uh, we realize that you know we have to do some capital injection first, <laughs> but if we have that much outlet. We, we'll be more than uh, in 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 a, in a year's time. We should be we should be okay to break even, yeah. Based on um, on all the things that we can make money from.
0: And one thousand outlets. That's that's getting that's getting beyond Jakarta. You're starting to talk about getting out to the, some of the other major cities like Madan, Makassar, Surabaya, all that's of these right. different ones. Yeah,
1: correct, correct. Bogos and whatnot as well. Okay, so we, we are looking at the Greater Jakarta, uh, but and, and of course all the other regions that's around them.
0: Okay, and the same partners that you have have the presence in all of these other markets as well.
1: Um, uh, fun fact: one of the partners is actually uh, uh, an activation team for Gojek. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we we hired those kind of people to come yeah. on board so yeah, to yeah. make our life easier for us to go down. Okay. They're already they're already working in that field for like what uh, nearly a decade it's yeah. kind
0: of easy for them okay yeah yeah they already have the familiarity i, I think the, the connect the connections and the familiarity is the is, is is the big hurdle especially when you're trying to get physical presence across of not maybe not as complicated as india because india is really not just one country even though it is one country it's quite diverse as you well, as you travel yes, through correct. indonesia has a little bit of more cohesion uh, ac- across as you go th- across the islands yeah
1: that's right. That's right. That, that that's what um I call it the one language barrier. So if you go to India, uh, there's multiple there's hundreds of language. Oh uh, yeah. It's gonna to be tough for me to you no know, to, to basically work work on that. Yeah um, on my level right now. But Indonesia is just one language and spoken across the entire the entire region itself.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. And it's it's fairly similar to to to, to Malay as well. Malaysia. So you can, you can basically talk one, the other person will understand you and vice right. versa, even though the languages are different.
1: That's right. That that's mm. something in is, Indonesia is so easy for us to 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 look at.
0: Okay, okay. So then, what's 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 next? I mean, is 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 Singapore the next one, or do you have it currently defined?
1: No, no. So uh, we 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 are trying of to do it one one country at a time. One at
0: a time, yeah. So one focus on Indonesia at the time being. Hit those yes. one thousand outlets, and then think okay. think about the next step. Correct.
1: Right. Uh, the key things that we are looking to do, of course, is to basically fundraise. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that we're going to be working on in the pipeline very very soon as well, okay. because for us to do this, we need to have the muscle to to carry the team as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so that is something that we be like working on uh, immediately. We yeah. also have a couple of things that's coming in. Uh, prior to this, our our app was something that we built for Bali gas. Mm-hmm. It was it is very gas centric. Sure. And uh, it is it it does not really work for uh for our our um, our grocery stores. Yeah, we are launching a uh, version two very soon, uh, okay. in February sixteen, where we are converting it into a, a grocery store outlet um, app. Okay. So just coming in as well. Yeah, we are, we are basically building foundations right now.
0: Okay, okay. And so when you when you look at building these foundations, you know, are there any met key metrics that you're utilizing on a regular basis that tells you whether or not you're on the right path towards? uh towards your goal
1: i look at revenue basically i think that's where everybody's uh, mm. uh not right um <clears throat> every single month i sit with my, with my finance and he ask ourselves is the revenue going up and if yes and uh with that is the cost being managed uh and and, and all those kind of things um some of the other side metrics that we look at of course is basically our presence as well mm. um we want to have um outlets in multiple in, in multiple areas for example In Malaysia, the target is to be number two, second biggest grocery chain by the end of this year in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. So for that, you need to meet at least minimum 600 outlets across Malaysia by December. Mm -hmm. So uh, those are the kind of uh, metrics that we look at, um, number of outlets, number of active purchases, and how much does that translate into revenue. Um, So then, of course, you have multiple revenues as well. You have revenues from um, cooking gas, there's revenues from FMCG, there's revenues from... uh, Recycling, so all these different different things um, is also measured individually. So these are basically the things that 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 my finance lady has to basically uh, go crazy over with me on on a weekly basis.
0: Okay, and you just have one finance person? Yes, right now. Correct, that's right. Okay, I I have a feeling she's going to be requesting support as you go up to six hundred outlets in Malaysia ah. and one thousand in Indonesia. <laughs> She she already told me that she already told me that. <laughs> <laughs> you you want to you want to track that many locations with that much data? There's there's a, there's, a, there's a lot more than one person can manage at that point in time. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. yeah. Right. Right. Okay okay. Um, very 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 interesting very interesting. So you're 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 building you're you're managing towards towards the towards the revenue. I'm curious when you look at revenue, are you looking at uh, you know? So when when you talk about uh and I I I the example of 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 the of the recycled cooking oil so you're paying out uh to you you're essentially buying it from the customer and then you're selling it back off so when you recognize the revenue are you recognizing it at the at the at the amount that you sell it to your partner or are you recognizing the revenue of the spread between those two between the purchase and sale
1: uh of course it's the gross is going to be the pricing that we sell Mm. but ultimately the net is going to be the 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 difference is,
0: is that and what's out of curiosity what's what's the what's the average margin on something like that come out at
1: recycling is very dynamic um some mm. markets sometimes it can it can go as low as 50 okay. percent in good times it can go up to 200 percent.
0: and it, it fluctuates with the market price so, so it's it's more commoditized in that in that sort of way
1: that's right okay
0: okay, very, very interesting. um awesome. I think we've we've navigated all across a lot of ground uh we've we've talked about your you you scaling up, the international expansion and so forth. Let me wrap up here now with the closing questions that I ask everyone. So the first one of these is what is a tech tool that you just cannot live without?
1: Okay, so one will be Monday. I use Monday a lot to basically manage my team. That okay. is working in-house and remote, uh, whether it's through different states and whatnot. Um, I think that basically helps us to uh, distinguish what are the uh, everybody's roles, what are everybody's tasks of the week, uh what what where is blockages and and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So throughout the entire thing, we basically use Monday. Um and that's basically help, helps us to become more efficient. Um I would not say that we are the most efficient people, but efficient as, as we can get. Um <laughs> The second one is basically um, Zoom. You, we use uh, Zoom and Google Meet all the time. Yeah. Let's talk to everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah. When people are working remote and not always in the same physical location at one time, it's it's be, it's become the new normal. Um yeah. Awesome. So, so second question here, if you were to talk to another founder that's just getting started out, what is the biggest piece of advice that you could offer?
1: I will say that be ready to face uh, rejections. I think when you are a non-founder, um, uh, when you're not in the in the industry, you will think that um, getting rejected by one or two person is uh, like you know it's really bruising, mm. or, or 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 painful. But um, I I think um, uh, I think once you are in the industry, you realize that those are just pretty much a, a normal day-to-day thing. Um, as as uh, startup founders, we are this essentially a salesman. We sell or, or we sell ideas. Mm-hmm. We pitch to our team and whatnot, and rejections does happen we just have to be a little bit more thick faced uh, and we don't we should not take it personally i think a lot of um, founders gets burnt out mm-hmm. by uh, by rejection of their face and then, and then they feel insecure and that basically drives the uh, the companies down and it's sad to see those things happening so <clears throat> yeah those 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 things treat treat it like it's
0: a different thing yeah rejection happens i i I love the the point of view that you're you're always selling you're all you're you're always selling to customers and you already said you're gearing up for a fundraise so that's 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 another aspect where you're going out and and selling the company Uh, and rejection happens a lot whether you're talking about customers potential funders um key person that you want to hire rejection happens uh it's a it's a matter of just continuing to move on that's 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 fantastic advice was Sutan, this has been a fantastic conversation. I learned a lot about your business and we've uncovered a lot of uh, good points uh, that I think will be very valuable for the listeners here. I want to give you a big thanks for, for being on here today.
1: No problem, man. Thank you. It's an honor and, and a pleasure to speak
0: to you today. Excellent. Thank you. All right, that wraps it up for another fantastic episode of The Sea of Startups. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Go on to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It's the best way for us to get discovered and to have these startup stories reach a broader audience. If you have any suggestions or would like to get in touch, you can email me at kevin at indelible.vc. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin from Indelible Ventures, and this is the Sea of Startups.